Hello and welcome to this podcast. I'm Anju Ghangurde, Executive Editor for the Asia-Pacific Region with Script and Pink Sheet. And today I'm joined by Dr. Jogin Desai, founder and CEO of cell therapy company iSTEM. Dr. Desai comes with extensive experience. He was previously part of the global leadership team at Quintiles and headed their cardiac safety business from 2001 to 2007, and has also been the CEO of Senduit, an industry leader in the interactive response technology market and e-clinical field. Now, cell and gene therapy, as all of you know, is a hot area. And if you may recall, former US FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb, at the time of approving Luxterna in 2017, said that he believes gene therapy will become a mainstay in treating and maybe curing many of the most devastating and intractable illnesses. Currently, the US dominates the global development of gene and cell therapies, with China emerging as a strong challenger. But there's been significant debate on the sustainability and affordability of these expensive therapies. iSTEM's long-term vision is to develop a scalable cell therapy platform to treat incurable diseases, and more importantly, democratize the access to these newer technologies globally. It has an impressive pipeline that includes a lead asset in the area of dry, age-related macular degeneration or dry AMD, and another for idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. AMD is a leading cause of central vision loss in people 60 years and older. Now we are going to discuss how things are shaping around this exciting pipeline and also touch upon iSTEM's recent fundraise and much more. Thank you so much, Dr. Desai, for your time today. Thank you, Anju, for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast. Okay, so let's let's start from the very beginning. Now, it all apparently began with a fortuitous meeting with the ophthalmologist Dr. Battu, who is also now part of iSTEM's leadership team. Could you take us through how the iSTEM dream mission was actually shaped? Sure. So what happened is this is probably around 2014 uh, when I had gone for uh, you know, one of those checkups that one does from time to time. And uh, Dr. Bhattu and I got talking and one of the things that came about is uh, that patients with some incurable diseases face a very tough time in the hospital because since they are not curable, we don't, you know, there's not much one can do about it. But at the same time, there's a lot of time that needs to be spent with these patients because psychologically, it's hard to tell a patient that they're going to go blind and, you know, not spend time with them. So that sort of left an imprint on me. Uh, and it, it, I guess it was very fortuitous because then in the next one or two weeks, I was at INSTEM, uh, which is, Institute for Stem Cell and Regenerative Medicine, again for a completely different meeting, where I met Dr. Ram Swami, who was the original dean of INSTEM, who is now in Purdue. And he was talking about how cell therapies uh, are going to be uh, the wave of the future. And 
that's when I sort of connected two plus two. Uh, and then we, we started having a small group of people that came aboard. We had uh, Dhruv Sareen from Cedar Chennai who uh, was you know doing some excellent work at that point in time. And we said, you know, why don't you come over? Because he was visiting Chandigarh. Uh, we had Rajesh Ipal, who is again our co-founder, uh, who was uh, a, a faculty at uh, Manipal Institute uh, of Regenerative Medicine. And, and he came over and all of a sudden, the idea of iSTEM started uh, from from there. We sat across, we had a one day full day brainstorming session to see whether this is possible. And from there, we could realize the faint idea that something, that this is a field that is sort of waiting to be disrupted, if you will. That's really interesting. And you're on quite a big mission, uh, figuratively and in terms of potentially game-changing treatment and business opportunity. Sure. So uh, let's kind of move to the pipeline. Sure. Now, what's the basic thesis behind Eyesight RPE, your patented flagship experimental treatment for dry AMD? And where are we now in terms of moving towards first in human trials? And also, if you can just touch briefly into the next big milestone to validate your cell therapy platform. Sure. Uh, so. Dry age-related macular degeneration is incurable anywhere in the world. Whether you're in Boston or Bangalore or Bihar, you're going to get the same uh, response from your ophthalmologist saying you're going to go blind. We don't know when. Uh, and, and, and it happens because the retinal pigment epithelium starts degenerating. Uh, RPE, as we call it for short, uh, is sort of the foundation layer of the retina. Uh, just as the foundation of the building, when the foundation crumbles, the building crumbles along, alongside. So that's what happens when the RPE start crumbling. The photoreceptors which sit on the RPE start crumbling, and that is how you start losing sight. You first lose sight in the foveal region, which is the central region, uh, and then it sort of starts uh, uh, going uh, to the periphery. So what we have done is created this retinal pigment epithelium in a suspension in a, through a patented process. And uh, we will, and, and it is a suspension which we have now injected into special genetically modified versions of rats uh, where this RPE layer eventually goes. And we have proven that the rats can start seeing or keep seeing versus the rats who are not injected who cannot see. Uh, so we've also proven the safety of that over the last uh, uh, two years, doing various animal studies, uh, which uh, which have proven that the product is safe as well as effective. Uh, as far as next steps are concerned, we're right now in the middle of getting uh, of dossier prepared for submission to the DCGI here in India. And uh, we're hopeful that we will be able to submit the dossier by January of this of 23. Uh, I would anticipate soon thereafter, sometime in the first half of 23. Uh, mo well, in the second quarter of 23, I would anticipate uh, enrolling our first patient for, for this treatment. Okay. So you're saying the first in human studies would be around the uh, first quarter of 23, right? I would say second quarter, 
because okay. first quarter we will we will uh, we will have submitted it takes about a quarter for the dcgi and all those processes the sites to get up and running so i would more conservatively second quarter is better okay uh, but uh, you know along the way we also know that you have this interesting partnership uh, at least for the animal experiments which were done at the oregon health and science university in the us mm -hmm. and you have this partnership with dr trevor mcgill uh, the world-renowned expert on preclinical AMD studies at the KCI Institute. So, uh, I mean, is there more to this? I mean, would there be more uh, partnering by Oregon Health to take things forward at some stage? Well, no. So, OHSU is the center of excellence for animal models of retinal degeneration. Uh, now it is headed by Professor Rene Reals. Uh, uh, and uh, and her team. So they have about a 20 year experience in, in this. Uh, and we were very clear that just because we wanted to get a therapy to be affordable does not mean we wanted it wanted to be cheap about it. So we went to the best center of, of our animal model research uh, and they have been extremely helpful. That partnership has helped us tremendously. And uh, we would look to when we take our next product actually between before idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, there is a reasonable chance that we may also go uh, look at a photoreceptor cell suspension for retinitis pigmentosa, uh, which is a disease of kids. So we've already discussed them with them animal models for uh, uh, for that where photoreceptors are lost. So we would we certainly think they will be an amazing partner for us over the next five years as we develop animal models. Uh, their role is it's an academic lab. Uh, so the partnership will be for animal models and validation of our product uh, for anything related to the eye. They would they would be our sort of first, second, and third choice, if you will. Okay, uh, that's that's interesting and now clear as well. Um, let's move to the bigger eye stem theme. Now, eye stem wants to democratize access to newer technologies for the bottom 99% of the population globally, and that's very heartening to note. But clearly, that will require significant scalability. Yes. What's the plan there, and what's the kind of, uh, I mean, price floor you perhaps have in mind, given that there are no real benchmarks in dry AMD so far, and then we all know that you know gene therapies like uh, Luxterna mm. are clearly beyond the reach of most in this part of the world, or even most of the world. Exactly. Yes, and that's exactly why we started Istem, Anju, because. We are very clear that with the way cell and so cell therapies are generally expected to follow the gene therapy cost model. It may not be half a million dollars, but it will most certainly be the six figures, high six figures in US dollars. So that is to us, uh, you know, if you are looking at a gene therapy like Luxterna, which is very, uh, you know, very niche and for a small group of patients that still may be OK. But when you're talking about 170 million people in the world who suffer from dry AMD, a price point like any, that just doesn't make any sense, not just for India, but even for the world. Uh, so what we want to do is get price points which are, say, 150th of what uh, a price point in the in the US is, is, is coming at. Uh, we have built. We have purpose built our cell therapy platform to uh, align around our vision, uh, which is to make sure that this is a therapy that is relatively affordable and it is available to, if not 99, at least the 
at least uh, 60 percent of the people who can afford at a minimum they should be able to do it because at those prices of half a million dollars and above well, i would say only the 0.01 percent can afford it right it's 99.99 percent actually who will not be able to afford it so how do you expand that is what we want to do we've made sure that our protocols are scalable in the sense that from a single uh, uh, from a single uh, while of IPSC cells, we're able to get a larger amount of RPE. So we've created a scalable platform uh, protocol, which we have just recently, actually about a week, uh, about two weeks back, we published in the STAR protocols. Uh, uh, it's a methods paper which we have published. And our patent is around a unified protocol which creates two products and one so we can create RPE as well as photoreceptors at the same time, right? So which which means that again your manufacturing costs reduce. Um, we have been able to solve this in the eye. Uh, one of the reasons is that the dosage in the eye is fairly small, which is you need about 200,000 cells per, per dose. And if you look at one Eppendorf tube, uh, I can get about 5 million cells in there easily, right? So that scale is not as big a challenge. I mean, it is a challenge, but not a world beating challenge in that sense. When we come to the lung, that will be a challenge because and we're we're hoping to solve that because we've got now, uh, you know, uh, we've got about you've got to do maybe 20 million cells in a dose. Uh, so that's a challenge that the entire world is trying to solve, including Einstein. Okay, that's really interesting. Uh, so, you know, if I just uh, move to the bit that now with all this kind of interesting uh, data or that you're generating, early state data, of course, has there been any big pharma interest in eyesight RPE so far in partnering co-development uh, of the asset? Because the dry AMD treatment landscape, as we know of it, seems to be buzzing with activity. And in fact, one report suggests that there are 45 plus active players working on as many, uh, you know, pipeline therapies. And then we see the big boys like Janssen acquire rights to uh, Hemara's investigation in gene therapy to help preserve vision in patients with uh, geographic atrophy. Yes. So it's a very competitive landscape. Yeah. So yeah. has there been I any particular interest? Yes, we've been talking. We've had several conversations with Big Pharma. Uh, and in general, we have made sure that we preserve our right to move forward until we get human data, because I think that is important. Uh, the second thing is we want to make sure that we, we have collaborations with people who are aligned with our vision uh, and purpose. Because if we align with somebody who is only anyway going to do the next $100,000 treatment, uh, then it doesn't make any sense for us because then it defeats the purpose behind ISTEM, right? I mean, we all we all can get rich in the process, but that's really not the reason why we started the entire uh, company. Uh, so we, yes, we have. We've had several conversations. The second thing about the competitive landscape, I always say that the market is so huge that I don't think competition matters here. I mean, just to give you a sense, wet AMD is treatable, right? Through Lucentis and all these drugs. Uh, and the current market for that AMD is $10 billion. And dry AMD in incidence is nine times that of wet AMD. So now you can see the market addressable market that is available globally. So I don't think 
you know, I'm not too worried about, to be quite honest about competition at this point. Okay. And you still believe that despite, you know, the kind of competitive scenario we're seeing, iSTEM can still make its presence felt both via, you know, the cost and the other attributes. Oh, absolutely. No, cost is just a, you know, if uh, affordability factor that comes later. The first thing that comes is quality, right? So we want to make sure that whatever results we have are as good or better than anybody else in the world. That's the only way uh, we can compete. Uh, after that comes cost, but quality and efficacy are table stakes in this business. So we are certainly very bullish that the, the product that we have will show human results, which will be better or be equal or hopefully better than anything else out there. Okay, uh, that's really interesting. Uh, and if I could just stick a bit with the competitive landscape and kind of pick your brains on what's your assessment of, say, an Apelis uh, peg setaco set plan? That's the investigational therapy targeting, you know, complement protein C3. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that has continued to show potential improving effects over time in geographic atrophy, uh, se secondary to age-related macular sure. degeneration. I'm asking you this because they have an expected PADUFA date, target action date in Feb 23, which is just, yeah. you know, a month yeah. away. Yeah. So see, complement factors, see, there are several others like CNTF also that have been in clinical trials for some time. There are two or three different approaches for geographic atrophy, if you will. If you put it in buckets, uh, one big bucket is cell therapy, of course. Uh, and I'll come to that and competition in there a little bit later. Uh, second approach is trying to do co complement factors uh, and, and or you know other factors, neurotrophic factors, uh, uh, and there's been uh, MANF, which is I don't remember the full name now, MANF, and there is CNF, which is ciliary neurotrophic factor, CNTF, and and uh, the complement factors that we talked about, the inhibitory pathways. Now, one of the problems of all these factors is their ability to survive for a longer period of time inside the retina, uh, right? Because if it can't, then multiple injections or multiple administrations becomes a fairly large problem to solve because every intervention in the retina creates its own issues. Uh, so that's why we've stayed away from complement factors. Uh, the second and you know all all good wishes to Apelis and all, everybody else who's trying because we're all in the same boat. We're trying to solve a big problem. Uh, and uh, the, the third group is what I call, uh, you know, repurposing companies where people are trying to repurpose some drugs from the from FDA approved drugs and all of that. And that, you know, I don't think there has been a huge amount of success there. Uh, so coming back to cell therapy, there are two main approaches to cell therapy. One is creating a sheet and putting that sheet inside in, in a very, it's a three millimeter sheet and it goes inside. Uh, that is microsurgery and, and the National Eye Institute is running a clinical trial on that. Masayo Takahashi in Kobe has been running a clinical trial on that and showed some nice results in human beings. Our problem with the sheet is that while there are some structural issues that, uh, you know, we have with the sheet, but even if we didn't have those issues, it would still not be scalable and competitive at a price point that is that fits our purpose, right? So it doesn't make any sense. Uh, the sheet, uh, the in the suspensions category, the only people who are worth right now following is lineage therapeutics, which is uh, 
which used to be an Israeli company. Now it's an American company. There they have shown some nice patient data, including some reversal of vision loss. Uh, so that's sort of the competitive landscape that I would see. Oh, that's really a comprehensive roundup that you've shared. Thank you for that. Uh, let's now move to the funding part. Now that's uh, clearly critical for you know all young and growing and uh, you know ambitious companies like yours. So uh, you had a successful Series A round, raising approximately 6.6 .6 million dollars, and led by Biological E, Alchem, Natco, the promoters of Chemwell and existing investors, NDA and Kotak Private Equity also participated in the round, which valued ISTEM at roughly uh, 47 million post money. Now, would that fundraise suffice to take you through both eyesight RPE and your investigational treatment for retinitis pigmentosa? Uh, it, will, it will suffice to take us through the RPE and get our investigational treatment for retinitis pigmentosa to a point where you can start the human trial, but not, not complete it. So it is. it will get us the first one, yes, the for, for retinitis pigmentosa, it will get us to the verge of a cl clinical trial. So I would presume that at that point in time, we will we will raise more money given that hopefully we'll have good results to raise more money at that point in time. But okay. we've been very selective, Anju, here because uh, again, if I go back to my purpose of scalability and affordability, the first thing you have to do is become scalable and affordable within the team, right? So we've had a very, very clear vision about this, that anything that we do from bench to uh, from the starting at the bench to a point where first in human trials are there, we will not be spending more than four million dollars per product, in excluding the clinical trial. Uh, right. And that to for us is fairly, you, you know, in, in most companies spend 10 times that in the US before they start a clinical trial. Uh, so and that and we had to, we wanted to do that so that we can remain lean and fit uh, in order to achieve our purpose okay uh, but if i just you know uh, ask you about this the wider scenario now do such fundraisers in india signal a shift in investor appetite overall for cutting edge science new modalities uh, in the past we've seen investors have been a little you know tepid about this, but we have seen now we're seeing funding trickling for CAR T therapy and for companies like yours. So is there a change? And the second bit is, uh, do the Indian firms in your Series A also hold some kind of first right of refusal to any of your assets? Uh, so the last one, let me take it. No, no, nobody has a right of first refusal or right of any any other right except that they are an investor like all the others. Uh, I hope this signals a change. Uh, I do hope that there are ten items that get funded. Uh, I don't see this at a level that happens in technology, uh, and I think one of the reasons is most of the VC funds are done by techies, right? We who do not understand biotech to the extent that they can invest wisely uh, in this field. We, you know, for example, if you look at in the US market, there are a lot of VCs which are led by ophthalmologists. I have, we have some who focus only on companies in ophthalmology and they're run by actual ophthalmologists, right? So there is a depth in the VC field in the US which we do not see here. Uh, and we hope that will change. I do hope that will change. I do, because that's the only way Indian biotech can come of age. 
Right. Uh, I asked you this because I believe even in you know in the US, I think investors are getting more demanding. They just they don't want just a phase one. They want much more. So it yeah. is a tough environment per se. Yeah. It is a tough environment. I think we've been very lucky. We have investors who are very good, very patient, uh, and uh, uh, who understand the entire R&D, uh, you know, cycle of a biotech product. So uh, we're certainly very lucky that we didn't need to go out and get VC money. Uh, and even Kotak and India are not traditional VCs. They are very good. Uh, they have a deep understanding of the biotech sector. But I am glad we did not need to get somebody who you know wants to have an exit in three years or something like that. OK, uh, let's also touch upon your other pipeline asset, the one for idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, AirSight AEC. Mm -hmm. Where are we now and what is the animal data saying? OK, so. We've we've been able to reliably create alveolar cells in the lab. We've been able to reliably create airway cells in the lab. These are two different types of cells. Alveolar also, there are type 1 and type 2 alveolar cells. All of that is fine. We've also been able to create an organoid model of the lung in the lab fairly efficiently. So all of the science that is needed to produce it is there. Uh, we have been able to create a protocol that is dependable and repeatable. Uh, so we're fairly happy about that. Now, We've put some, you know, we've had preliminary animal data where we have, we have put it in an inflammatory mouse model, uh, actually, no, rat model, and we have proven that the collagen uh, amount can go down, which is collagen is what causes the fibrosis. Uh, so there is good preliminary data to move forward for us. And this is all data that we have generated at ISTA. Uh, what we now need to do is do two things. One is prove that these cells can be scaled up without them going into senescence. Uh, right? This is a fairly large scientific problem that the entire world is trying to solve, not just us. So how do you, from, just to give you a sense from uh, for RPE, we create 24 to 48 vials, million cells out of 1 million stem cells. Here we will need to make 500 million cells out of 1 million stem cells. Right? So how do you keep massaging them and making sure they don't go senescent uh, is is a challenge. Uh, we we are hopeful that we will be able to tackle and solve that challenge in the next uh, few months. Actually, uh, we're very close to solving that problem. Uh, the other is what do you do? How do you work with a transgenic mouse model or rat model which accurately recapitulates pulmonary fibrosis? Again, there are only two or three labs in the world who are working on this. Uh, one of them is ISTEM. The other is in Boston and the third is in Cedars-Sinai in LA. Uh, so we we're, we're going to now once our RPE submission is out of the way, uh, we're going to now uh, you, sometime by middle of next year, we will focus on finding an appropriate transgenic mo uh, animal model and, and finding a partner like OHSU, but for the lung. And, and see what the animal results are and then take it from there. OK, so I think uh, 2023 is going to be a really action packed year for yes. ISTEM. Oh, yeah. OK, yeah. OK, so uh, you know, finally, uh, if I can just move to the, the final bit. Now, it's yeah. a big mission you are on to. Yeah. Where do you see ISTEM five years down the line? Uh, I mean, are we looking at a unicorn? Um, is it a listing? Is it yeah. something else? Do you like regen, do regen's bios model? I mean, where are we headed? 
none of that and so our focus is whether we can dis help patients right so if in 5 years we have been able to help patients help treat some one incurable disease hopefully two uh, and help some patients recover their vision uh, uh, then that not some patients a significant amount of patients then it will all be worth it if through that process we become unicorns or get you know whatever it is uh, or listed that is uh, that is a means uh, for us so i'm not frankly too focused on that uh, as if we because if we start focusing on all that then then automatically uh, the purpose gets diluted so we're just focusing on making sure that we can treat patients and help them right now okay so i mean dr desai those are really fascinating insights that you've shared and uh, i mean all eyes will clearly be on istems progress and we really sincerely hope your vision your mission is totally accomplished thank you so much for your time today thank you anju thanks for taking the time to talk to me